We are back January 12th, 2022. That's three twos in one date. No, four. Forgive me, four. Two, two, zero, two, two. Stupid introduction, you might say, and it probably is, but I don't care. Here we are at Lawyer Talk. Norm is here uh, back from the new year. We are both back from the COVID recovery service. The plague. The plague. The Chinese plague, I call it. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Norm. Happy New Year to you too. Um, we are uh, we're gonna do a, the normal routine here. It is Wednesday, so we're waiting on the Blitz. The Blitz is back. I came in last week to do the Blitz, and guess what? They weren't back, so I didn't. Um, and uh, I did do uh, I did some moonlighting. I did a lawyer talk Q and A yesterday. That should be coming out soon. But uh, for the new year, we got lots of the same and even more to come. Uh, I'm going to continue with the Lawyer Talk Q&A series. We're going to continue with the Breakdown series. Norm, we're going to get your show. I promise we're going to get your show off the ground. (laughs) And we're going to talk about racing. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about law. We're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, We got Glenn Harper, my accountant over at Harper Plus. He's coming in every week now and doing a a podcast, so you can check that out. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Did not know about that. In fact, I was his first guest, yours truly. Nice. And uh, I just posted it on my Facebook. I hardly ever use Facebook, but I... I posted, I, I did it for the Object Palmer Facebook. Uh, so check that out. But uh, anyway, we're waiting any second here for the Blitz uh, to tune in with Loper and Randy for the first time for the new year. And, and as, as usual, taking all comers, all questions. Uh, if you got a legal question uh, and you don't get through to the Blitz, obviously just check us out at lawyertalkpodcast.com and you can submit a question there and I'll take it on in my Lawyer Talk Q&A. You know, the other thing, Norm, you've been pushing me and I think it's time, high time anyway, we start going live taking phone in for sure yeah so uh look forward to that i intend to uh i intend to really really hammer that home this year so lots of goals for the new year lots of resolutions business-wise you know uh steve and even for uh folks that can't be uh with us live because you know they they may work during this hour um a way to maybe bank a phone call or a, a question via email Oh yeah, yeah. We're do we are taking emails. So yeah. you go to lawyertalkpodcast.com, You can send an email now. I got the yeah. question. I've been answering those on the Q and A. And and once I started that, it, it, it more and more are coming. It's like, it's sort of like um, yeah, bananas, as Jared would say. They come in bunches. Yeah. I, so like if you're if you're wanting to know Steve, Norm, boxers versus briefs, that kind of thing, anything about us, you can uh, you could drop an email and uh, we'll reply. Yeah. So topics you want covered here at the long form, we'll do it. You want me to do a quick q and I'll do it. You want a breakdown? I'll do it. Sure. And and then I think what we'll do is we'll set up a time where we can just take phone calls. And and if you want to have, if you want to schedule a call and you want to be on the air, uh, just uh, hit us up by email and we'll, we'll get it done. So Right. Uh, and you don't have to disagree. You don't have to agree or disagree. Um, maybe you just, you know, you have a killer topic to bring up and, something we haven't thought of before because there's a lot of that that we haven't thought of before. We're, we're interested in your ideas. Yeah. And, and I think it's almost better if we disagree. So I think some of, you know, sure. you know, Norm and I have gone back and forth on a few of those things and uh, sure. I, I have a blast. I love it. Yeah. Uh, what better way to test your thoughts, your ideas and uh, question our motives. Yeah. You know, are we, are we uh, saying something because, you know, we have some ulterior motive or do we really, you know, are we being straight up? You know, it's okay to question that. It, yeah, I, I dare you. I dare you to call in and question us. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I agree. That's what I like. I, I like the clashing of ideas, the testing of uh of That's thought. right. Yeah. Well, whether we're sincere, all of that stuff, because I know we get into it. 
we get into it. We we get into some very sensitive things, um, you know, when it comes to uh, gender, race, um, politics, um, you know, it, all, all these topics that are getting, you know, it's kind of like dealing with a fire hose aimed at you. It, it's it's unbelievable the rush of topics and the breadth of um, the challenges that we face in terms of public policy. It's just, it's nonstop and the volume of it is overwhelming. So, you know, sometimes Steve and I may shortcut a thought and you're like, what, wait, how did they get to that from there? And, and, and you want to punch through that. We'd love to explain how we got to some of our conclusions. And uh, it's totally legit to challenge, um, you know, us. We're, we're just like you. We're regular people. Yeah. And, and you think uh, if you want to get on the air and you think you, you, you got some good stuff to offer, give us a shout, man. We'll bring you down to the studio, sit at the round table. We'll have a little discussion. Uh, see if you got the chops to hang with Norm over there and, <laughs> uh, and uh, hash it all out. But uh, Oh, gosh. Well, it looks like the Blitz is there, so here we go. Hey, what's up, guys? For the first time in the new year, it's our buddy, my lawyer. He could be yours. It's Steve Palmer. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, my brother. You know, we got to figure out when we can get you back in here. I want to see you face to face. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, as long as the COVID restrictions permit, I'd love to get back in there and check out the new new digs. You got a whole new uh, setup over there. Yeah, we sure do, man. He hasn't even seen it yet. Oh, man, it's begging for you to come by. Absolutely. Hey, Steve. So I, I was watching this Ghislaine Maxwell trial and, you know, this whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein, it's so convoluted. It's tough to understand. There was so much going on in the trial. You know, I really thought at one point it was going to be a mistrial, but now they they're saying that, that, that she could really go back and the whole trial could be scrapped. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, here's what's going on. After the fact, one of the jurors or uh, maybe one or two of the jurors uh, disclosed that they were able to convince some of the others to vote guilty uh, or maybe reach a decision based on the jurors' individual experience as a victim themselves. In other words, uh, one of the jurors had been victimized uh, or abused as a kid, uh, and they used that to uh, convince other jurors to vote their way. Now, I, I probably whitewash that a little bit too broadly, but that's okay. Um, the idea is they, uh, my understanding is those jurors did not disclose during the jury selection process that they had been prior victims. And, you know, I've tried a number of cases involving allegations of sex abuse and uh, particularly child sex abuse. And that's one of the first questions we would ask, has anybody here ever suffered abuse, any of these potential jurors? Because it does change your outlook on those kind of cases, you know, not absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not every juror is good for every case and we all have inherent biases and that's what the idea of jury selection is supposed to uh, smoke out. So now they're going back and saying, look, this is a big problem. We need a mistrial. We need to do this again because the jurors were not honest during voir dire and they've admitted it. Um, How this all shakes out. I don't know. I understand the judge has given them briefing deadlines. In other words, they have to file documents in support of their arguments. Uh, And then there may be some agreement though, uh, about uh, not prosecuting future cases. I, I, I've, I've read something about that. So we'll see how it unfolds. But it very well could result in a new trial. And if I were representing her, I would be banging the table uh, just as much as her lawyers are because that's uh, uh, that would violate your right to a fair trial, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm not obviously in favor of Ghislaine Maxwell. I, I just... 
I was just thinking to myself, like, man, whoever that juror was really took a chance. So when you are a juror and you lie like that, is there any sort of legal ramifications? Like, are you in trouble at that point? Uh, I guess in theory, the juror could be in trouble. I mean, when we select a jury, they place the jurors under oath. They all take an oath to tell the truth. And when we ask them questions, we expect them to tell the truth. That said, I have never heard, although it maybe has happened, of any potential juror being prosecuted for perjury or not telling the truth in that situation. I think often uh, the juror would say, well, I didn't quite realize uh, that you were really, really serious about that, or I didn't think of it. Or, <laughs> when uh, I took the oath, I didn't know you were real serious. Right, right. So, you know, but every now and then you run into juror misconduct where jurors, and okay. maybe uh, like the old mob days when they would pay jurors or they would uh, threaten jurors to do things, uh, sure. then, then there's probably some repercussions. But uh, as a practical matter on something like this, I don't think the juror gets in trouble, but it would, uh, it easily could result in a new trial. And it's, it's not that you support what, Epstein was doing or Maxwell was doing. It's that you, you we want to uphold the system. Uh, and even in the worst of cases, we want to uphold the system uh, because when you're the one charged wrongfully, you want the same protection. And the kind of capital that they were involved with is almost unlike any other case in the world. I mean, like they were filtering money. Uh, Epstein was in control of money and capital, like at a level that most people can't even fathom. And I don't even know that we know the full extent of the truth. So I was always waiting for this trial to be blown wide open and her to walk. And, you know, just for whatever reason, because it just seems like they've redacted so many names on the list of people that were allegedly on that airplane and then left on names like Bill Clinton and other really famous uh, dignitaries uh, like uh, what's his name? The Prince from England. Yep. Yeah. So, but then who's really redacted? Are those the people that are in control today that are really controlling revenue streams today around the world? Well, I, I think here you've stumbled on, and it may be true what you're saying. There may have been some very, very influential players around the world that aren't named, but you've stumbled onto something else that I think is relevant for all sorts of reasons that we're experiencing today. And that is when, when stuff gets redacted, when it's not exposed in the sunlight, when, when it looks like things are being concealed or facts are being concealed from us, um, either intentionally by the media or by the government or uh, it, for whatever reason, you tend to distrust everything after that. You know, it tends to really cast doubt on the credibility of everything. And you start to uh, the, these these, quote, conspiracy theories start to gain ground that way because you wonder. It's like if it's not bad, why don't you tell us? Exactly. <laughs> you know? um, so we have a lot of text coming in. Uh, off, yeah. what, oh, what's that? Oh, you have a phone call? Oh, do we have a phone call, too? OK, we can start here. Line one. Ian. 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 What's up, buddy? How are you doing? You're on with Steve Palmer. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I was just wanting to know, like, you know, I hear you talking with the, the trial and stuff. Now, what about this guy that they supposedly, is he a plant? They planted him to destroy the trial. Oh. Oh, the uh, the actual juror. <laughs> I mean, so that's or going. the family, you're saying? The, the Maxwell family? No, planting this juror that uh, was allegedly uh, went through state. abuse and then didn't. Uh, it wasn't very transparent about oh, that. Oh, the deep state, uh, you're saying. Yeah, planet. So, ah. like, that, but that's what Steve's talking about, right, Steve? I mean, that's if you're not transparent, this is where it goes, right? That's correct. So, in order to smoke this out, in order to avoid that, uh, it, well, look, if that's true, let's have a hearing and figure it out. If that's not true, let's have a hearing and figure it out. The point is, yeah. let's have a hearing and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right, we go to the uh, great text machine here, Randy Razor, people texting in at 99700. Kelly, you're not going to believe it. Who who just wrote in? Yeah. I, 
Ian. Ian. But we'll call this one Ian. The yeah. guy before was Ian. I thought that was so wild. Very I was wild. like, as you said that, I was like, oh my God, the texture is uh, Ian. Okay, so Ian says, I was pulled over and charged a DUI at the beginning of this month. I blew an 0.14, and I'm pretty sure there's no way out of that. Uh, the question is, I have, um, is my car was pulled over in a bad spot on a busy road, so the officer said it would be towed. But I asked if they would be kind enough to move it to the hotel parking lot nearby. They did. When I got back to my car the next day, it had been ransacked, searched, glove box open, everything on the floor, pockets of clothing in my car turned out. Uh, seats move forward. Is this an illegal search, even though I let them drive my car? Is there anything I can do to hold uh, them accountable? And wait, well, just answer this first, Steve. How far over is 0 0.14? Uh, point, it's it's 0 0.14 is, it's a good, healthy test. The, the legal limit is 0 0.08. When I started practicing gotcha. law, the legal okay. limit was 0 0.10. So when I started, it wouldn't have been all that far above. Yeah, it's still pretty high, I guess. But it, it's a good, healthy test. I mean, it, it's still defensible. I mean, we, we take those on all the time. Um, but that aside, or that aside, the issue here is whether the police had a right to search the car. And there's a couple justifications they're going to give. One is that it was incident to what they'll call a lawful arrest and that they wanted to search the interior compartment of the car. The other would be an inventory search. Since the police had some control over the car for some period of time, they search and inventory everything in the car. So in case there's an accusation that uh, that they took something or something was uh, destroyed, uh, but as a general matter, the remedy for that is nothing unless they found evidence that is going to be used against you. So in theory, I guess you could sue the police for a civil rights violation if they conducted an illegal search, but there's really no damages. Um, now, if they found contraband, drugs, a gun uh, is pretty common, uh, you could argue that if there's a criminal case that comes out of that, the evidence gets thrown out and they're not allowed to use it against you. In other words, you win. But short of that, it sucks. I hate that uh, that feeling that somebody's gone through all your stuff is very, um, I don't know, it's very personal. Violating, right? Yeah, yeah. it just feels violating. Yeah, but that's that's part and parcel to the process of getting arrested. Mm, okay, so this one came in. This is from Mike. He said, I was charged with a DUI alcohol last year when I hit a tree. My license was suspended for six months. I did not pay any fines. I was uh, taken to a hospital for my injury. So this year, I was pulled over for speeding and got court summoned to resolve my DUI, DUI conviction after a year. Why was I not sent anything during all this time to resolve it? Also, I was given a public defender after multiple calls and visits to his office. He was never there and never returned my calls. Uh, well, I guess I would need to know more to figure out all of it, but it sounds to me like this person was charged with OVI they gave him a ticket, and at the bottom of that ticket was a court date, which really is a summons to go to court. And and maybe he didn't go to court or didn't understand that he had to go to court, and the case never really uh, went anywhere. And then when he picked up something new this year, it showed up. There was a warrant or an order in uh, that says, hey, look, we've got this old case still s sitting out there. we got to deal with it. Um, now, as far as the public defender uh, you have a right to a public defender if you can't afford a, a private lawyer. They'll appoint one for you, and that's either uh, a public defender's office uh, that is run by the government or private lawyers often do appointed work like that. So as far as your access to the lawyers, look, I mean, uh, your your options are not great when you're getting the free lawyer. Um, sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not so great. And that is also true, I would say, for the lawyers that you pay. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not so great. So uh, if you want to get a consultation on this, happy to do it. 614-224-6142. Uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. 
All right, we got one from uh, Jen Brandt. Because of COVID and the mass exodus of healthcare workers, is it legal to not give a proper orientation before scheduling a new a nurse to work a new job? They told me I would get six shifts if shadowing. I got three hours, then put on my own. If something bad would have happened, would the OBN consider it incompetence on my part for taking on the responsibility without proper training? Yeah, I think the OBN here is the Ohio Board of Nursing. So it, I th that is going to be an all depends answer. Um, if it's something that uh, if 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 the let's just say this, if the facility hired a nurse and put a nurse on the job and the nurse was not qualified to do the job, there's going to be liability if somebody is hurt or, or harmed. And they're going to they, they being the person's uh, estate or family, whoever it is, is going to file a lawsuit. They're going to name everybody. The nurse is going to get named. The facility is going to get named. But what they're really looking for in lawyer terms are deep pockets. They're looking for money. And I, I imagine the facility will have more. They're going to cover it insurance-wise, et cetera. Now, whether the nursing board would take action against the individual nurse, I think that's going to all depend on what was done. I mean, if it's something that is uh, fundamentally uh, wrong or bad, like I, and I would say showing up drunk or uh, just blatantly, flagrantly ignoring uh, an obvious responsibility. Maybe the nursing board would get involved, but I don't think they're going to hold somebody accountable uh, if they're thrown into a situation from an employment standpoint that they're not equipped to handle. Now, I would say this. If you are in that situation and you feel you're not equipped to handle it, then you need to let the employer know. And I would say let them know in writing. I would let them know in very expressed terms. You don't want to get yourself in a spot where you're taking on too much. And I get it that there's a delicate balance there of pushing your pushing yourself to do things in the in your profession versus uh, jumping too far ahead and getting out over your skis. So uh, I, I leave it to you to make that decision. But if you feel that you're in over your head a little bit, I would make it known to supervisors and everybody else. All right. Okay. Uh, we have a bunch of texts coming in at 99700. People can call in 821-9970. Steve Palmer's on the phone, our lawyer, and uh, we're offering up his services to everyone right now that's uh, listening to us, Loper and Randy, in the morning. All right. So Jake thinks he might have been caught up in an elaborate scam and needs everyone's help. Okay. Are you ready to hear this right. elaborate scam? Scam us out. Let's go. He said, so a friend of mine sent me a link to what appeared to be a page offering prostitutes or something like that. They were phone numbers. So I called one on the page. I decided <laughs> to just be a little curious. All hey. right. I called one of the numbers to see if that stuff was even real. Well, I got no answer in the call. So I decided to leave it alone. Still laughing at the fact that the website apparently offered prostitutes. <laughs> anyway, later that day, I get a call from a 718 number who says he's a detective with the NYPD he tells NYPD. me that apparently I didn't call a prostitute that I called an underage girl who, uh, instead supposedly this girl in particular was from the Dominican Republic was offered some kind of modeling job. She's been, been missing ever since What? the guy on the phone told me to look up the number he was calling from. And it did show the 86 precinct. And he said that because I have no priors, he managed to convince the parents that I'm a young guy who was messing around the internet has nothing to do with human trafficking. He also said they are willing to accept that I'm in no way involved if I pay a fine of $3,500 as well as attend counseling. Oh, no. That's a scam. To Wait not only verify I'm involved in human trafficking, but that I'm also not a sexual predator of any kind. Well, the, the police aren't going to levy a fine against somebody unilaterally like that. That just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I, I would say. How Jake? Yeah. <laughs> Jake's so scared. Well, I get it. But, I mean, like, you know, you're in that situation. It's hard to really 
know the forest from the trees, oh, right? Right, right. That's yeah. why you need legal help. Yeah, you sort of feel like, what if it is true? Am I going to get in trouble? Um, yes. yes. There is Through an answer. Life, yeah. Yeah, call Yavich and Palmer, 614-224-6142. We'd be happy to talk you through those problems. But generally speaking, I would think that this is likely a scam, but give me a shout. I'll be happy to talk it through if um, if you're still concerned about it. Um, the, the police don't take credit cards over the phone and for your fines. That just doesn't happen. Wow. I mean, it, that's scary, though, like that people go to those lengths. He had a hunch it was an elaborate to, scam, though. Yeah. Well, it, when they start going, all right, well, let me get your credit card number. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's like offers, Officer Bueller. You know, like you're like, I don't know, man. Hey, Frank is on line, too. Frankie. What's happening, buddy? How are you? Good. How we doing? Hey, awesome, man. It's Loper and Randy. You're on with Steve Palmer as well. Okay. Uh, I'm talking about my ex-wife and my kids. Uh, when we split up, we had uh, two agreements, a shared parenting agreement and a uh, condition passing. Right now, she's keeping my kids from acting. I'm wondering, can I revisit the shared parenting without getting into uh, I, I, that broke up on me a little bit, but yeah, I kind of trailed off there at the end. He had a shared parenting agreement with his ex, and now she won't let him see the kids, and he wanted to know if he can revisit that shared parenting without getting into the assets. Yeah, I mean, right? Yes, that's correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, everybody wants to leverage the kids against the money, and you can't do that. They're two separate things. There's a shared parenting plan that divides up. Uh, parenting time and parenting responsibilities. And then there's the division of assets and or child support and or spousal support. And those are the financial matters. They're two separate things. So just because somebody isn't paying child support doesn't necessarily mean that they're not allowed to have visitation under a shared parenting plan. And the opposite is also true. Uh, so you could easily go back to court and uh, get some redress for your ex's violation of the shared parenting plan without opening up asset stuff. Now, if the asset stuff isn't resolved or you're worried about opening it up, I would ask that question to yourself, like, why are you worried about opening it up uh, if something's changed or something wasn't done correctly in your favor or maybe against your favor? Uh, maybe you may not want to open it up. This is one of those questions that uh, there's probably too many uh, variables to dig into here on the phone or on the radio, but I would encourage you strongly to get help from a qualified domestic relations lawyer. If you need one, I'm happy to refer one, 614-224-6142. All right, there you go, Steve Palmer. Uh, one more text here. Is that okay? Okay, so uh, this guy said he booked a flight to New Zealand through Orbitz.com. The day of my departure, my flight was scheduled to leave at 1.30. When I arrived at the airport at 11.30, plenty of time before my flight, the airline assistant had told me the flight had changed to 10.10 in the morning. Orbitz.com didn't send me a notification of this change until 10.50. 40 minutes after the flight left. Now I'm getting the runaround that it's not their fault. If they don't refund me, what can I do? Yeah, I, I assume that this was done on a credit card. I would first start there. I would stop. I would call your credit card company and say, this is a bunch of nonsense. I got ripped off. They uh, changed a flight on me. I couldn't get there. I would also make sure you're correct. I would look through all your emails, all your uh, communication. And then finally, and maybe not finally, but maybe firstly, you should uh, read the small print of the agreement that you had with Orbitz to make sure that this is not covered in their favor in some way, shape, or form. It might be. It may not mean that it's definitive, but you'd certainly want to know that. Um, I would I would be pounding the table, screaming, jumping up and down, saying, give me my money back, uh, or at least give me a credit for another flight uh, at some other point. 
Uh, and, and, you know, as far as they're not taking responsibility for it, I'm assuming that means for the sake of what we're discussing that they won't give you a refund or a credit. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be, I don't know if there's much more you could ask for than that, I, I would say. All right. Each and every Wednesday, Steve Palmer joins us to give free legal advice, just like he, he did just now. Uh, now, if you guys uh, want to check that out, you missed any portion, or if you were on the air and you were kind of nervous and you didn't hear everything that Steve said, you can always catch it on our podcast, which is posted immediately following the live show. And uh, speaking of podcasts, you can check out Steve's podcast uh, via the Blitz website at theblitz.com. And uh, Steve, uh, things still going strong with the podcast? Yeah, things are still going strong. we got the website if you want to check it out, lawyertalkpodcast.com. Lots of uh, great content uh, coming weekly, so check it out. All right, and lock his phone number in your phone right now. I mean, DUI, any sort of uh, criminal situation, Steve Palmer is your defense attorney. And Steve, give him that number, man. Yeah, put it in your phone right now, pull it out, and uh, just hit save. 614-224-6142. It's good 24-7. Live folks will answer and then find me in the event of an emergency. Steve Palmer, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! All right, great stuff out of the Blitz. Um New Year, nothing to slow down, man. The, the calls keep coming in, the texts keep coming in, and uh, we keep answering them. So, Norm, we got some stuff to talk about. Yes, we do. We've got. Uh, see, see, here's what happens. Really, Here, here's like the how do you make the sausage? <laughs> Norm comes in. Uh, Brett's not here today, but he, he's only just uh, temporarily absent. Um, but he'll come in and we kick around different topics and, and more and more and more and more and more. There's more and more and more and more topics to, to kick around. We have this agenda that we want to get through and rarely do we get through all of it. Um, but Norm's usually the man. He's usually got this list of, uh, and, and I'm not talking like little things. I mean, we're talking like big weighty China's going to dominate the world type things. Yeah. I'm, I'm spooled up. I mean, whether it's consumer things, um, you know, trends, economically, um, civil rights. I'm just, uh, I'm an angry man. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the Billy Joe's, the angry young man? The yes, Billy I, song? I am. I'm on fire. My hair's on fire. I, I just finished while uh, Steve was uh, um, issuing excellent legal advice. Uh, just, just blown away by yet another crazy story. Uh, Steve, just, just, you know, crossed my wire, um, that Chrysler Corporation, which of course is owned, uh, you know, it's an Italian corporation now. Um, but Chrysler, uh, has announced they're going to be an all electric vehicle company by 2028, which is, you know, six years hence. So you've got the, you know, the corporation that gave us, you know, everything from the Fiat 500, uh, to the, you know, the Jeep Wagoneer, to the Chrysler Hemi and the 440, you know, the Blues Brothers. Uh, it's just unbelievable to me because there is no, this is a solution looking for a problem, in my opinion. So Deloitte Touche just did a, a consumer research piece this past month, and they asked consumers, for their plans on buying cars, what what kind of a car are you looking for? Only five percent of American car buyers plan to buy an electric vehicle. Five percent. So that's one out of every twenty. 
uh, you know, if you if you need to crunch 5% into a different way of looking at things. So one out of 20 people you meet on the street that would be a potential car buyer are looking to buy an electric vehicle. And, um, and yet, you know, one of the former big three in the United States, uh, in the face of that statistic, is plowing forward ignorantly, in my opinion, uh, to, to bring a, a complete, I mean, you go into a Chrysler dealer in six years, what they're saying is everything you're looking at, you, there, there won't be a Hellcat, you know, a Challenger, there won't be a, there won't be a, you know, a twin fuel, you know, Challenger, there won't be a, a Fiat 124 or 500, you know, with a, an internal combustion engine, it's all going to be battery powered. And it's just, I, I mean, we don't have a pollution problem with internal combustion engines anymore. There isn't a big thick haze hanging over Los Angeles. There isn't a shortage of fuel that's natural. There's an artificial shortage of fuel because we shut down things like the, the Keystone project and, you know, eliminate, uh, oil exploration on federal lands under Biden. And, and so we jack the price of fuel up, but that's all artificial. So without a pollution problem, without a fuel problem, what is the problem? What is driving? So, so the, the biggest supplier of batteries is communist China. And I, 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 I'm just, I mean, you got Elon Musk selling off stock of Tesla, his own personal stock, because I don't think even he believes in this. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack there. And, and you know, you can start, they always start with the notion that we have to do this or the world's going to end. Oh, my God. And Jesus. then, you know, so I would always go, I would follow my big three, no pun intended or no relation <laughs> to the automotive industry. My big three are money, power, ego. Why are they doing this? There's always something motivating. And I'm guessing here is going to be money and maybe even a little bit of power. Because what's going on is companies don't make decisions like this if it's not financially advantageous to them. Now, it might be artificially financially advantageous to them because of some government action that is uh, going to either reward it or mandate it, uh, But they're or maybe they're doing it to uh, push off government action or regulation against them in some other way that would hinder them. So somebody, you know, companies generally speaking, you know, even the wokesters these days, they're going to do stuff that's going to benefit them financially. That's just how the world is. What I, what I really appreciate, um, and I rarely say anything nice about uh, Japanese car maker uh, corporations, but the head of Toyota a couple months ago came out publicly in a speech and said, the electric vehicle business makes no sense to him. It, it, it makes no financial sense. He, he, he essentially said what I just said, that there's, there's not a shortage of oil. There, the, the internal combustion engines have never been as clean as they are now. In fact, in one case, uh, I think they tested the quality of the air going into an engine and then the quality of it coming out. It came out in better condition than it went into the engine. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, but yeah, so this has nothing to do with what's real. No. It has everything to do with what's perceived, and exactly. it has even more to do with what the government perceives what's perceived in order to get more power. Because absolutely, uh, you know, if you, I, I argue this with COVID, I argue this with things like your, like the environment, or things like cars, or whatever it is. If you say this is stupid then the response you get is, well, then you don't care about the oh, X. You don't yeah, care that right. people are dying. You sure. don't care that the world's going to end. You don't care. You don't care. Lord. And and 
I, I say, no, 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 I do care about all those things, but I don't accept your premise. <laughs> I don't accept that, no. that that battery-powered cars are better for the environment than gas-powered cars. And, and to force companies, because here's the thing, I do not believe that Chrysler would do this uh, unless they are feeling coerced or forced in some way, or they think they can get ahead and have an advantage by doing it. And the only way that is, the, only, the, the mystery in the woodpile here is that you have a government action either happening or looming that they're trying to satisfy. Right. Because if it is true that there is no demand for electric cars, then nobody's going to make them. That's the bottom line. Not not in a not in a real marketplace uh, environment. Of Correct. course not. So if you outlaw gas cars, then everybody has to make them. Yeah. And that's the only way there would be a demand for these things, right. as far as I can tell. And well, right. Exactly. And well, and of course, we've loaded up our uh, our tax structure. You mentioned you 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 have an accountant uh, uh, having a show here at five eleven. And uh, he would be well aware of the tax credits. The federal and and, and many states uh, also have a EV tax credit. Um, and I think in uh, I think federally it's it's either ten or fifteen thousand uh, dollars. Now a tax credit, and I'm not an accountant, but I know this much. A tax credit is so so if you owe fifteen thousand dollars on your federal taxes and you get a federal tax credit of $15,000, it zeroes out your obligation. A tax credit is dollar for dollar credit for taxes you owe. There is no better, uh, it's not a deduction, it's a credit. It's, a, it's like the government handing you 15,000. So this is really welfare for wealthy people. I mean, people who, people who buy a Tesla, you know, uh, the higher end Teslas that cost you know, $80,000 with all the bells and whistles, you know, that isn't, um, that isn't a single mom, uh, you know, uh, working two jobs to, to keep four kids, uh, you know, in clothes and food, you know, that, that's somebody with some real money and, and we're giving them $15,000 of tax credits. We're not giving the poor mom a 15,000. We're giving the rich mom. I mean, just, the, the whole thing is just absurd to me. It, it is absurd on its face. It is inconsistent on its face. It's hypocritical on its face. Usually, I mean, it's, it's, it's total crap. And it's the same kind of nonsense that almost always, if not always, results when the government tries to meddle into private business. They just The government's job is not private business. I don't even fault the government for not knowing how to run private business right. because why would they? Do you remember, Steve, the big scandal in Arizona? Of course, that's, you know— world center of golfing, you know, and retirees out there. And this was about hmm, maybe 10, 12 years ago where Arizona offered an electric vehicle uh, credit um, that they would pay for half the cost of an electric vehicle up to a certain amount. And, uh, and everybody went out and got a new golf cart. And yeah, because awesome. those qualified under Arizona had written the legislation so horribly, it didn't say highway capable vehicle. Well, no, 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 no. Don't presume that that wasn't intentional <laughs> because how many retirees are out there in Arizona oh, buzzing around, buzzing around. And so it, it very, very well have could have been an intentional omission. Or, or addition. I, I doff my hat to you. You're, you're exactly right. It probably, of course, right? yeah, it looks good. And yeah. then they serve their, their people, you know, it's like, it, it's, yeah. it's perfect. Right. Yeah. They got free in, in essence, they got free golf cards. Cause Just, I, it, I think the, I think the state paid up to five, 6,000 bucks 
you know, towards an electric vehicle. And of course, if that covered the entire cost of the vehicle or most of it, you essentially got your your golf cart for free. And there was something similar going on back in the 90s. I remember everybody started to buy these huge SUVs because you could get a farm deduction. You know, you, you yep. could like you could buy right. it through your business and you would get this discount. I don't remember how to, I didn't have the money at the time to do it, but yeah. everyone was out buying these $50,000 Suburbans right. and, uh, and deducting it for the same kind of reason. Obama's uh, new appliance thing. You know, everybody went out to Circuit City or wherever you buy a refrigerator these days. You know, got free appliances. That, that whole but thing. and and here's the deal: like you pointed out, only the wealthy people could take advantage. Of well, this. sure, right? Because exactly. they don't, like if you don't have disposable income, you can't just go buy a new set of appliances. No, you know, you, discount or not. <laughs> no, it, it's in fact it's shocking if you go look at what the cost is of a a dishwasher or a, free, a refrigerator today. It's you know, it's not it's not like the old days where he went to uh, what was it, Steinmart or whatever it was, uh, or no, Sun, Sun TV. Sun yeah. TV yeah. used to be able to get a refrigerator, you know, for two hundred fifty bucks or three hundred bucks, low end. Never heard of it before, but hey, took it home. It worked for a while. Yeah, those days are gone. And then the days of appliance, like in a, in my in my childhood, you didn't replace appliances. It was a big deal if you did. No kidding. And back in the sixties and seventies, right. like you bought an appliance and when you when you got your house and that was it. Right. That Norge was out in the garage. So if it got scratched up in the kitchen, where they got it didn't get thrown away. It got retired to the garage as dad's beer kegger. Right. And not because it was <laughs> it only got updated or or changed because of some because mom wanted it. You know? Right, the handle got rusty or right, something, but they didn't break. <laughs> no, they did they didn't. In, in fact, my parents' basement is still their original <laughs> stove, and it only got used once a year on Thanksgiving. Uh, they, I remember my mom going down sticking the turkey in that thing, and uh, the up, upstairs stove, you know, like it didn't get replaced. It's, no, no. Like, once or twice in 50 years. No, God bless her. She's yeah. not She's not going to sit there and, uh, and, and clean that uh, pretty show oven upstairs. She's going to use the old monster down in the basement. Yeah, I said oven. Stove. <laughs> I said stove. I meant oven. All right. So the other thing, let's, let's shift gears. I'm going to yeah. try to, we're going to try Ooh, to move Oh, good one. Shift gears. Yeah, there we like go. It. So I want to talk about the filibuster. Fili, 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 filibuster. Uh, and actually, <clears> let's <throat> talk about Jimmy Stewart. You remember the movie? I do. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I, I, I do. I, I do, Steve. I, wow. I, I, I do. It's, it's like a mix between uh, Barney Fife and Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> um, I, I can't even get my hand. I could probably come up with one, but I'm not going to try. Uh, so I remember as a kid. First of all, Jimmy Stewart was a badass. Jimmy Stewart flew in World War II in, in bombers yep. over Germany. Uh, and he came home and he didn't talk about it. He was a quiet American hero, yeah. uh, a wonderful guy, and um, and go ahead, Steve. No, you're you're right. He was an incredible guy. He was an incredible guy. And we're not talking like uh, like uh, Bob Hope duties in World War II. We're talking no. like getting shot at duties. Well, and 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 he maintained his. Uh, he, so he was a high ranking officer by the end of the war. He stayed in and um, and and uh, held uh, high office as a military officer in the new uh, U.S. Air Force Strategic Air Command. So he was the real deal. Yep. And I re- it's funny, we're talking about him. I didn't even think about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington when I was having a conversation over the weekend with my sons. We were t- my, my oldest is taking a class, and um, it's about it's a literature class, but it's, it's on Westerns. So they're studying the Western 
ideology, the stories behind Westerns, et cetera. And I said, you know, one of my favorites, now my youngest has seen it with me, my oldest hadn't. I said, one of my favorites is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. It's an old John Wayne movie with uh, Jimmy Stewart. Um, the bad guy is Lee Marvin. I yeah, think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, Lee Marvin. And there's a bunch of the old school character actors in that movie. A phenomenal movie. Phenomenal. And Jimmy Stewart, Ranson Staddard, I think was his name. He was a lawyer and hangs out a shingle and he's got a bully after him. That era of, of movie making was just off the hook. It, it, phenomenal. Yeah. And then speaking of free speech, there was a huge, there's a big, um, uh, that was back in the days when people like free speech. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, right. There's like the old town hall meeting and they're all screaming and they actually do talk a little bit about free speech in there and, and the right to assemble and they're right. all voting. The eyes have it type of thing. Right. But, um, great movie. But, uh, I remember back to it. I remember talking or watching as a kid, uh, this movie called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and I think they did a remake of that, too. I'm pretty sure. Some version of it with Adam Sandler, maybe. Yeah, I mean, doing remakes of classic movies is, to me, very bizarre. It's like when they remade The Pink Panther. It's like, how can you outdo Peter Sellers? Yeah, you're not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 what's right. going on here? Yeah, not going to You know, it. I mean, and and they've tried to do that with a number of uh, movies, and I just think it's a flop. I was, I'm trying to think of one that might have been better as a remake than it was as the original, and I can't think of any. <laughs> I don't know. I remember in high school. Um, now we're off on it, you know, but go ahead. Oh, that's right. <laughs> There's there's an old movie called Inherit the Wind. It's with oh um, yeah right Spencer Tracy Spencer Tracy right and I forget who played uh, William Jennings Bryant, but yeah. another character Scopes actor Scopes Monkey Trial yeah, Scopes Monkey Trial right and that was remade in like the eighties with Jason Robards and some other people and I remember uh, my English teacher was talking about the movie and I said great movie and I said you know Spencer Tracy and she goes I don't know that one <laughs> and I'm thinking and I'm wow. only seventeen right. probably yeah I, I've <laughs> always loved the classics and, yeah um, for sure. Great. The, the original is so much better. You know what else they remade is uh, 12 Angry Men. Uh, the remake is not nearly as good. No. Um, How can it be? It's just not. No. I can't think of any that's as good. No. But it shows you Hollywood is just running out of, right. like, the creativity is gone. It is. It's terrible. It's gone. But anyway, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He's this guy who gets elected, and uh, he goes, and there's this scene where he filibusters the Senate uh, and has this sort of impassioned... I'm the little man standing up for the, the minority type of speech. And the idea of the filibuster is that if you're in the minority in our country, uh, you have a voice in the Senate and you can stop the majority by standing up there and talking for hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, there's, I was reading some history. It's like, it goes way back. Um, yeah, correct. In, in many different ways and both sides have used it. Uh, and the idea is it, it protects the minority from majority rule. Yeah, and you can, and part of it is you can hand the microphone off to somebody on your side, so to speak, of the argument, and they can continue the filibuster. Yeah, and it can, you know, it, it, it what it's designed to do. Uh, for those who don't understand what is meant by the term, is you know, normally in in normal course of Roberts' rules of procedure, you know, the for example, the lower house of the Congress, the the U.S. Congress which is the lower house, the popularly elected um, members, um, 435. Uh, those members vote on a, you know, whoever has more than 50% of the votes wins that vote. Uh, so if there's a budget 
uh, or or uh, or some kind of piece of legislation, and uh, you you get fifty fifty one percent of the votes, then the issue carries and it passes and it becomes uh, it goes on to the Senate or to the president's desk, depending on which house it originated in. But in the Senate, it works slightly different. Um, on on certain bills, which uh, Steve has a, a fresh list, but there are certain important uh, kinds of legislation that require what we would call a supermajority, more than 50 percent. In, in the Senate, it's 60 votes out of 100, uh, you know, is a minimum needed to pass certain kinds of legislation. And the idea is that we want to make sure not just that a majority of American viewpoint says that that's a good idea to pass that law or pass that budget, but that a supermajority, 60% uh, 60 votes out of the 100 in the Senate, uh, say that it's a good idea. And then that way the people of this country can um, be assured that it wasn't um, some kind of case of a close bribe or somebody got some kind of consideration and there was just one more vote that was needed to push it over, but that there were actually 10 more votes uh, or nine more votes uh, beyond a simple majority and that it passed. And, and there is some comfort, psychic comfort, civic com- comfort that, you know, uh, it, it wasn't a close call because of the nature of whatever the importance is of that piece of legislation. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, and there's a there's a couple things that I had to piece together. So I I, I, I claim no prior knowledge. I did some research on this because I didn't. I wanted to get the vocabulary and the terminology and an understanding of how it all fits together. The filibuster is nothing new. It's not new to America. It's been going on for uh, literally since Roman times, if not before, maybe the Greeks. And uh, the idea is, uh, you know, you have the assembly floor and you get to talk and you can delay legislation from happening by just taking up everybody's time until it wears it out. And that's what Mr. Smith did in the movie. Now, when when Norm is talking about uh, the supermajority, the 60 votes, here's how that came about. There's a concept called cloture, which is means closure or we're going to stop the debate. We're going to we're going to close it down and cloture. Uh, is the other side's ability to shut down the filibuster. And back, I think, uh, in 1975, the in order to get a cloture, to shut it down, they needed, um, up until that time, they needed 67 votes or a two-thirds majority uh, to pass it. That's what Norm was calling the supermajority. Then in 75, they reduced that to 60. So now, if the Senate, if the, the majority has 60 votes, they can pass it. So when you hear of somebody or when you hear the news or somebody talking about, well, they need a supermajority to pass it, what they're really saying is they don't have enough votes to shut down a filibuster. Um, so they need 60 votes to shut it down. So if they get wind that the other side's going to filibuster it uh, and pass the mic, so to speak, as many times as they need to until time runs out, um, and they don't have 60 votes, well, then they can't get it passed. It's just sort of like we're going to skip ahead to the end game and say, we know what you're going to do. Let's just shorten this up. Uh, and uh, if you do this, we'll do this, and I'll do that, and you do this, and here's how it ends. So if you don't have the votes and we don't have 60, uh, then you're going to filibuster. We just recognize we're not even going to try. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's really what's going on. Now, there's talk in this day and age to eliminate the filibuster in order to pass all this essential stuff to save the world, save the planet, save the country, save democracy, whatever it is. And at the outset, and I'll pass the mic to Norm after this, I'm always skeptical of any human being who wants to save the world, save the planet, save the country, save democracy, save, uh, prevent uh, bad racism to uh, enable all utopian ideals. Only if they just had control, they could do it and pass the laws to get it done. Right. I'm always skeptical of such claims. Right. And um, well, and they usually tack on the word reform, quote unquote, to describe changing voting laws. So they'll call it voting reform uh, or voting rights protection yeah. or or you know they give it some kind of fuzzy warm bambi unicorn name well it's orwellian right yeah, the, like right. the ministry of truth right exactly it's, it's, it's the exact opposite yeah so so biden has a whole package of voting rights reform legislation that he wants passed which of course are not reforms uh I- I- except in the most crude uh definitional way of looking at reform, which means it has a form now and he wants to change it or reform it. Yep. Uh, but it's certainly not voting rights as any rational person would look at it. It's actually watering down the rights of legitimate American voters. Um, and, you know, there's this thing, the January 6th thing where, you know, we're all being told that, you know, anybody who challenged uh uh, who, anybody who thinks that the that the voting laws as they are written now, you know, um, you, you know, lack something in terms of integrity, that you're the nut, you're the crazy person, right? You know, but hey, even in even in Ohio, they're not asking people if they're U.S. citizens when they go to vote. Number one, number two, all you need in order to present your bona fides is. A utility bill, you know, something from the the phone company or something from AEP or whatever. You mean some PDF off uh, iNote? Yeah, I mean, mean, uh, so so you have poll workers that flat out tell you they're not allowed to ask anybody for proof of citizenship. And if you think there are, if you don't think there are non-citizens voting in federal elections, I'm sorry, but you're just on a crackpot. Yeah, it's nuts. And and this is this you know bad, this is one of those things that they say they being in this situation the Democrats are saying if we don't get rid of the filibuster then it will deprive people of their right to vote if we don't get rid of the filibuster then January six will happen every year if we don't get rid of the filibuster we can't save the world right and this is the problem and this cuts to the heart of so I, I'm going to try to shift this away from all these. You and I agree on all the stuff you're saying, by the way, but I'm going to shift this stuff away from that and sort of get to the foundations of the country because uh, this cuts to the heart of the foundational structure of our country. It is not a majority rule country. It is not intended to be. It was never intended to be. Um, and and you hear terms like democracy as if it were intended to be a majority rule country. It is not. This country from the inception has always protected through a careful balance of powers all sides, all states. All, all, both sides of a debate. Now, you may get your way as a majority sometimes, but not all the time. You can't just pass legislation unfettered uh, 
in this country without it having been reviewed. If you're in the Senate, it gets reviewed by the House and vice versa. Well, then- but Steve, just to interrupt real fast. So what Steve is saying is 100% accurate. And the mechanism by which you slow down the impulsiveness of the majority, you know, like a crowd that is pretty sure that guy over there needs to be strung up and hung, you know, because Billy Bob down the street, well, Billy Bob would never lie. And he saw that guy, you know, shoot that other guy. So let's just string him up, string him up now. Why, why even bother having a trial? So you've got, you've got the majority of people with hot heads, you know, with, uh, with some kind of uh, idea that, you know, this law needs to be passed right now, reactionary style. Well, that is what the lower house of the U.S. Congress is all about. That's where you can pass a law with a mere 51%. Go ahead, Steve. So that's the outlet for that. Yeah. But that it, you do not make a law that way. All you do is you pass the legislation through that house. It still has to get to the other house and be agreed to. And then it has to go to the president's president's desk where it either gets signed or it becomes law by him not signing it after a period of days that then becomes automatically approved. And if it turns out that the law doesn't pass constitutional muster, well, then it gets to the U.S. Supreme Court where they can review it and say this isn't right. There's all those levels of checks and balance. That's right. And, and your, your mob rule analogy is a very, very good one because rarely do good things come out of uh, mob rule. And almost mob rule always depends upon some perception usually a misperception, intentionally or unintentionally, of an emergency. Right. And and here's a great analogy, Norm. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but um, it turns out I'm not psychological perf- I'm psychologically perfect. You know, it just turns out. So at one point in my in my existence, I was going to a counselor, a psychologist. I used to call him uh, my, it was like going to talk to my uncle. And um, you're, I, you're a smart man. We, we Anybody... Anybody who needs help should seek help in making decisions in their life, and it's not a sign of weakness. It's it's not a sign of not being a man, and it's the opposite of that. It's a sign of strength, and it's a sign of being uh, internally confident that you go out and you seek some help. If you need help, get help. Yeah, don't don't wallow and blame others and, and start to. So I, you know, it was like a it was like a life lesson talking to Uncle Jack and. Um, one of the things I'll, I'll never forget, there's lots of conversations I won't forget, but the relevant one here is I was talking about the fact that I always had my cell phone with me. And it was because of my job. Uh, I should be on call 24 uh, 7. And I have kids. And, and, and in case there's an emergency, I need to have my phone. And he just, without even hesitating a second, he looked me dead in the eye and said, When's the last time you had a real emergency in your life? <laughs> and it was that quiet. I could not. Now I could come up with like work and well, so and so called. And he goes, yeah, but is that really an, is that an emergency that you should give up all your time just in case somebody's going to call you at 10 p.m.? Um, do or do you really have to be that available, or can it wait? Um, and and about I said, what about my kids? You know, they get hurt or this. Happened. He goes, when's the last time that happened? And we're like, really, the last time. And it's I'm not saying it never happens to people. Emergencies do happen, but his point was. The premise of why I was engaged in this behavior of having a cell phone and always being accessible and therefore causing myself lots and lots of anxiety and stress and putting pressure on myself in the world and my life, um, 
in justifying that by some emergency that probably will never arise. And even if it did, I could be get somebody could find me anyway. Um, it was very telling, and it's the same analytically. It's sort of the same. It's like, is it really an emergency that the globe is warming and has been now, if you believe it, for however however many years? You know, right. And even if you extrapolate it out, like the the margins of error is so enormously uh, unreliable. And is it really an emergency that if we don't get rid of the filibuster, they can't pass this legislation and ram it through? So you really have to question whether yeah, I always start with questioning the premise. Well, I don't accept that we have this emergency that's going to require a dismantling of our federal government and our in our political structure that's been in place for a hundred however many years, because now all of a sudden we've emerged on this emergency that only you can solve. And the only reason you can't is because the other side doesn't agree. Half, well, half well, the people don't agree. Well, Steve, let's get to let's get into the nitty-gritty of why. They want to all of a sudden, why does Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, who both of you whom have used the filibuster, you know, dozens, maybe a hundred times each. And defended it. And defended it. Yeah. Well, when you it know, was reversed. In the past. Why did so, so the person that they want to use, the, 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 the reason they want to get rid of the filibuster is not because of a Republican. It's, it's, it's because of a former West Virginia uh, Democrat governor who, and current senator, Joe Manchin. It's because he is standing athwart their various insane ideas, whether it's voter changes, whether it's environmental legislation, whether it's their insanity on, on you know, raising the budget, another $3.5 trillion in debt. Um, it's Joe Manchin, you know, blue dog Democrat, uh, loyal member of the Democratic Party, uh, who's standing uh, for the people of West Virginia who are not generally wealthy. Uh, there, there is that little bit of West Virginia that's part of the D.C. effect. But we all know West Virginia being here in Ohio. We know West. We, we know what West Virginians are, and they're they're Appalachian folk. They're they're people living hard by the soil, out there in the boonies, often getting terrible public education, often getting terrible benefits, and uh, living very scrappy and close to the earth, and and generally, uh, you know, farming or coal mining or doing something with their hands, and many of them with black lung disease or, or whatever, because they're working their asses off and they're scraping by. And that's who he's standing up for, okay? N- not a real deluxe population. We're not talking San Francisco Democrat. We're talking West Virginia Democrat, okay? So he's in their way. It's Joe Manchin. He's the guy in their way, and they want to get rid of the filibuster in order in order to resolve something of such a temporary nature because they can't get around this one man. These are these are temper. T- this, is a, this is like my toddler's temper tantrum. That's like, right. I want the cookie. I don't care if it's six in the morning. Right. I should have my cookie. Right. Not we only- have fifty nine votes. We don't have the sixtieth one because the sixtieth one is standing on principle. And, and he, they've tried to buy the guy. They, they've had him in and out of the White House a million times, offering him this, that, and the other thing. Trying everything. Name calling. That's right. Uh, offering whatever. Right. And, and here, here's the ultimate. Uh, the ultimate race is to November. 
they don't care. This is this is so important because so you have to sort of ask it this way. It cannot be, or maybe it could be, I suppose, that they're that short-sighted that they won't think the power structure will swing against them sooner or later. And that's what old Mitch McConnell keeps saying. It's like, oh, I, you know, don't say I didn't warn you when it switches. Right. Um, so you, you sort of have to know that they have a, they baked that into their equation. And then you have to look at the, at, at the very nature of what they're trying to pass, which is this quote, for the people voting rights, uh, protect uh, the electoral process thing, which is really, if they want to protect it that badly, really what they're saying is we want to maintain our power because if we don't pass this voting legislation, then we may lose the election, meaning we may not be able to let uh, aliens or, uh, or non-citizens vote. Uh, we, may, we, may, we may get smoked out. And by the way, the rules that they're trying to dismantle, like you pointed out, Norm, are, are oh. sort of rudimentary. It's like, oh my god! Right, so I mean, really, clean people... up the voter rolls. <laughs> well, know? how insulting is it? Okay, and 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 believe me, I, it's way past African Americans. Okay, because African Americans are just as smart, just as with it, just as educated as anybody else in this country, and the Democrats have this bigotry. Of, of low expectations, like uh, they, they completely take that voting element for granted. And, and they come up with these absurd ideas that, well, you know, it's racially prejudicial to, to demand uh, uh, some sort of ID because, you know, poor black inner city people don't know how to get an ID. Or even signature verification, well, I mean, right? Come, it, you it's know, just come, so absurd. It's so absurd. I mean, to do anything in this country at all, you know, to do anything. Well, I mean, D.C. just passed a law in order to get in anywhere. You have to have an ID now. So, so it's it's not racially discriminatory to get into a public establishment with an ID, but it is to have to vote with an ID. That's unbelievable. And I, I would say this about voting, and then, you know, we can bring this on another day because it'll go forever. But all that anybody should want about voting is that every person gets to vote that is allowed to vote. People don't get to vote twice. People who aren't citizens of this country. Well, I'm sorry, you don't get to vote. Um, You can't vote in two separate precincts. You can't vote in two separate states. Uh, You can't, um, you shouldn't be able to go collect and uh, have face-to-face interaction with others and then take and then induce them to vote your way and then take their ballots for them where they need to go. We just want to have a fair election. Right. And nobody on the Republican side is advocating for anything less than that. And I think I would like to think that most people on the other side are advocating for that, but I start to question it. Like if they're accusing one side of not wanting a a fair vote, then usually that's a mask for they want some advantage out of this legislation. So, right. And, you know, Bill Maher, I'm not, I'm not always a fan of his politically, but I am lately. Um, He made some comment like, I don't hate all the Trump voters because it's like half the country. (laughs) It's like the other half of the, like these people are saying the other half of the country or maybe 50, 49% are so stupid that they need to do what we say. Um, And, fundamentally that's insane uh it's utterly insane that uh that that and i think that would be insane for any side to think that way but absolutely here we are here we are um terrible all right so the filibuster if it's if, if it's gotten rid of so to speak basically you've changed the structure you have created a majority rule situation in the country where if anybody's got even a slight majority well, then the minority side can do nothing about it. And that brought up another little bit of research project I had because it wasn't that long ago I heard um, 
you know, it might even been Obama on the Bruce Springsteen podcast. They did a podcast together, and oh god, I, I, it almost made me cringe to hear it. But he's like, so turns out the Senate it's racist. That's huh. the Senate. Jeez. <laughs> Senate. Well, we have this minority disproportionately represented by the Senate. Wow. And here's a constitutional law professor. Right. And there, right. and there's a huge push. Ocasio-Cortez is one of them. They, oh, they think that yeah. the Senate should be abolished because it <laughs> protects minority rights. It protects the yeah. states that shouldn't have as much representation, et cetera. Right. And, you know, there's uh, the book that you and I have uh, grown to detest is that Ellis book. Yeah. One of the parts that, but the first half of that book or the first quarter of that book is actually really fascinating to me. And it was this, it was sort of the historical backdrop some dialogue between Jefferson and Adams yes. and uh, the Federalist Papers. That even he wasn't able to ruin. Even he wasn't able to ruin with <laughs> progressiveness. But the, what, what really, really struck me is how Adams was deathly afraid of uh, sort of the elites running the hen house. And sure. uh, Jefferson was like, well, you know, we can't let everybody else just have a majority. So they, they, they sort of, it, the compromise was the Senate. To get states involved in the union, they were going to guarantee them some representation despite how many people lived in, the, in their state. Yeah, so half the decision on a piece of legislation happens with, if you will, the tyranny of the majority. It happens in the House. That's half of the process. The other half happens in the Senate, where each state gets equal representation, meaning two senators per state. So we have 50 states. Each has two senators. That's 100 senators. Okay. And on most legislative items, you don't need a supermajority. But on very key critical topics, like whether we get rid of the filibuster, yes, no, you do need a supermajority. And and that's the rules of the Senate. The House has a different structure. So as Steve is saying, the... The forefathers allowed the Senate to develop its own rules. They allowed the House. The House could have a filibuster if it ever wanted to vote one in. The Senate didn't vote in the filibuster day one, okay, after the Constitution was passed. It became something the Senate realized for comity reasons, not comedy, but comity, meaning in order for senators to get along and to have a broad base of support for a given piece of important legislation, the senators decided to bring in this filibuster concept so that anything of great substance that had to be passed would pass with not 51%, but 60 or 67%. Um, and, um, you know, it's 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 American representative democracy at its finest for them to create that rule and decide that they want to make sure the American public, you know, let's slow down this legislation. Let's really examine it. Let's discuss it like we're colleagues. OK, instead of a rabble and and let's take our time with it. That's the point of the Senate. Yeah. And if you if you consider the alternatives. Let's go way back to the foundation or formation of the country. It wasn't understood necessarily that all states would sign uh, or sign on to be part of the union. You know, the original Articles of Confederation were turned out to be too loose and not enough federal power. But then in 1789, when we ratified the new Constitution, we came back. And, 
you know, it, it the states agreed because of these checks and balances. Right. Otherwise, now what, Steve, I just want to throw in there because you mentioned it goes back uh, to, um, you know, civilizations, uh, you know, back into history. One of those civilizations where this federal concept came up um, was from Native Americans. It So uh, Benjamin Franklin and the others uh, who were uh, looking at uh, looking for origins of of how you put together a government and where you get a bicameral house, uh, a, a Congress, meaning two houses of Congress, uh, a, a Congress, a lower house, the Congress, the U.S. Congress, and the upper house, the Senate. Where did that bicameralism come from? Well, actually, one of the sources is Native American culture. Uh, they looked at uh, at Forgive me for not knowing the tribe. I think it was the Iroquois, but I'm not positive. But it was one of the East Coast uh, tribes that the 13 colonists, uh, 13 colonies would have been familiar with, uh, had a bicameral uh, structure to its decision making. And so uh, some of this is, is uh, you know, it's, it's drawn up from very, it's from human psychology, you know, from the idea that you've got, You've got a, a kind of a, a group of people in the lower body who are going to make an, an, an impulsive decision and bring to the attention of the upper body, you know, what their, what their uh, wants and needs are. And then the upper body, will, whoa, 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 let's slow down. We're going to examine this uh, coolly and calmly, and then uh, we'll make our decision, and then it goes to the chief. So uh, really, really incredible. Very incredible, Steve. Look, you can say that some of the founders were racist, that they owned slaves, that they were this or that and the other. They were all flawed individuals in some way, as we all are now. I don't care how woke you are. Um, But they were no idiots. Some of them might have been idiots, but most of them were, were incredible individuals who had the capacity to study thousands of years of history at a time where you can't just Google it. Um, you know, they would, they would travel for days to get to libraries, to look stuff up to, to, for strategies in the, in the revolutionary war. I mean, really, really incredible stuff. And they drew on so many philosophers from going all the way back to the Greeks and the Romans. I I didn't know about the Iroquois, but that's, that's fascinating. It's in Ellis's book. That's fascinating. It's in his book. Um, and then they, um, so I should have known or I've forgotten if I did, but, uh, it's, it's amazing how much history, how much philosophy, the religion, the politics, uh, what they what they drew upon to create this country, and at the same time they did it at a time when it wasn't understood as a given that the, all the states wanted to be part of a country. Um, remember, we started as colonies; they, they, we were independent colonies. They didn't want the South didn't want to be part of the government because they didn't want to risk slavery. And call that bad. Great. That's why I always say we didn't found the country on slavery. We founded the country despite slavery. It almost didn't happen. Yeah, and, the and whole the whole three fifths. That was uh, to protect, right? That that was to minimize the power of the slaveholding states. Right. It was to count uh, slaves as three fifths of a human being. As awful as that concept is. I mean, I mean, it's. You know, when you say it like that, right, you, you immediately think, well, then you think uh, you think a, a black man is only worth three-fifths. No, you dummy. That is not what it means. What it means is, is that they were counting, in order to maintain slavery, the southern states 
wanted to count each slave as one whole human being. They weren't going to give that human being any civil rights. Yeah, no voting, <laughs> but they wanted to count it in they their favor. They wanted to count that person in order, in order to jack up their representation back in the Congress. You know, instead of having, say, 20 congressmen, they'd have 25 because they'd be counting all the slaves, too. The South collectively, you're talking the about. The South yeah. collectively. So yeah. it was an anti-slavery thing to put into the Constitution that slaves were to be counted as three-fifths of a human being. Right. Slavery was an awful thing. The idea of counting any man as half a man or three-fifths of a man, if you just say that, it, like you said, sounds awful. But the goal eventually was to eliminate slavery, which we did, and it cost 600,000 lives. My buddy would say, well, it cost 300,000 because the other 300 were fighting. I think he says there's even more losses, but half were fighting on behalf of the South. But the bottom line is this country lost a lot of lives eliminating that horrible uh, institution, and we did it, and we moved on, and we're still moving on, and, and we need to keep moving on. Well, and that's back when the population was, what, maybe 25 million? Isn't that crazy? I mean, like the so— The percentages. It's the bloodiest conflict yeah. ever, really. I mean, it's just insane. But, uh, you know, the idea of the country founding was that we want to get the states so we can have a more—we can have a union, we can have a country, but the states don't have to agree to be part of our country— and I, I think often politics, people, me included, we get lost or we, we forget that, that we do still have independent states on some level. And, you know, what we're, the states wouldn't agree to some of this stuff. They wouldn't agree to a tyrannical federal government that just tells them what to do from Washington, what they can do in Omaha, you know, or in um, uh, Nevada or Oklahoma or wherever. Yeah. You know, they don't. It wouldn't have worked. The country wouldn't work that way because what is good for California is not necessarily good for Ohio. And what's good in Ohio isn't necessarily good for California, and it shouldn't be. It's not meant to be. You know, the Romans had this figured out until they didn't, and then they, then they lost their empire. But Well, if we had to have agreement amongst all the states for everything, then the United States, ab initio, at the very beginning, might have been 100% uh, slave. Yep. Uh, a country. It might I mean, been. I mean, people. That is, that's what happens when you don't allow various states to have their own policies. Is you could you create a monstrosity because because you work. you because you're not you're not compromising. Okay, so and, you have to force. You end up having to force from a centralized governmental position. You have to force others to do things that one aren't necessarily in their best interest. Two, they do not want to do, and three, from afar. That requires force. That requires authoritarianism. That requires absolute governmental top-down, cram-down control that's been tried. It's been tried many times. Uh, it doesn't work. You know, the, the Soviet Union would be a perfect example. Like, they crammed it down. They didn't care if you were in the Ukraine. They didn't care if you were in Moscow. They didn't care. You're all living by these rules. This is how it is. We're in control. And forget about the fact that we killed uh, how many million kulaks to make it work. Uh, to, just to show the outside world that we had this wealth. Uh, we're going to starve all you people and take all your food and sell it. The, the founders were pretty bright. The seeds for the destruction of slavery as an evil institution were baked into the cake of the original Constitution. It was uh, by, 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 by using a stratagem like three-fifths of a human being uh, counted towards the Congress congressional represented representation and the idea that 
slavery at any point could possibly be abrogated uh, by, by, by us all joining together into one federal government. Those were the seeds of the destruction of slavery as an institution. Yeah. And, and, and the genius, it, it, our, our, the, the preamble doesn't say in order to form a perfect union. It says in order to form a more perfect union, meaning perfection's the goal. It's not the reality. They knew that when they created the Constitution. They knew that when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. These were not foolish old men, yeah. okay? They were people with an intellect. George Washington fle- f- freed his slaves on his deathbed because he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And it's like the old Adams quote, what did you form, a republic if you can keep it? And what he was saying is it's not majority rule. It just isn't. Yeah. And this notion, uh, to, to take it back home, and then you know we you chewed up some time here, but uh, this notion that it would be better if we had majority rule is not accurate. Like you've pointed out a couple times, that's mob justice. That's letting the federal government do too much. If we had majority rule at the time of Jim Crow, where would we be now? But they were smart enough to give the lower house that ability that they could come screaming with their hair on fire into session and pass some rash legislation. But our system is that it didn't be, it doesn't become law just because one half of the bicameral uh, legislature passes that bill. It then goes on to the other half. And it's not like folks, there is a meteor heading headlong into the United or into the earth and we're all going to die unless we give somebody power to fix it. That's not what this is. It's never been that way. It never will be that way. Um, And if it is, I'll, I'll eat my hat, but it's not that. And I, I would say this, if it is actually that way, then I would venture a guess that we would have a consensus. Well, and, 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 and frankly, Steve, a lot of the, a lot of the real problems our country has faced, whether you want to look at the uh, Middle East wars under Bush one, Bush two, whether you want to look at Korea, whether you want to look at Vietnam, whether you want to look at Grenada, it, whether you want to look at Panama, a lot of the military disasters or conflicts or even if they worked out eventually like Grenada did or Panama, you, a lot of the con- controversy uh, that has occurred in our country in recent years has been because the congr- the Constitution has not been followed. Yep. And in those cases, we did not get congressional uh, declarations of war. Uh, it, not even when they knocked down the Twin Towers, if you can believe that, people. Even under that, it was, a, it was an authorization to use force, but it wasn't a declaration of war, which is unbelievable to me in the last declaration of war was world war ii wasn't it that's right and 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 it just goes to show you that if if you follow the constitutional structure and it it leads to unity of purpose it it melds us together it gives us an idea that we as a society are going to agree to something because we've gone through these checks and balances of first the congress then the senate then to the president. And when we bypass that, like Biden is bypassing it with executive orders, like Obama did, like uh, Bush did, uh, both Bushes, like Clinton did. I mean, we've had a series of presidents that have bypassed either regulatory 
bypasses or or uh, executive branch. Either way, you end up with a very dissatisfied public. And I think it's time we get back to regular order. And that's what Joe Manchin, in fact, is standing up for. Yeah. And if you just looking at the big picture here, I always try to assess these kind of power grabs with a very simple question. What if the other side has the same power? What are they going to do with it that I don't like? And if the answer is, uh, if you can come up with a series of things that they could do with it, if you don't like, you're either dumb and short-sighted or ignorant and short-sighted, or your motives are far more nefarious because you were taking enough power to make sure that never happens. And um, I question both in this situation. Um, there's an old saying, you don't attribute to um, to uh, evil what you can explain by incompetence or what I forget how the quote goes. <laughs> but, you know, it's like most of the time government people are incompetent, um, but sometimes they're evil. You want to do some uh, quick outrages? All right, let's do Norm's Outrages here. We'll call it Norm's Outrages. Okay. Uh, Norm's got a small list of outrages. Um, first of all, uh, the the prime minister in England, you know, he's probably going to get tossed out of office on the on the thinnest of— I mean, th- this, again, shows you the power of the mob, you know, the way England runs their parliament. So uh, it, there, there was a BYOB party of his staff— you know, in the back of 10 Downing or some crazy place, little garden party, bring booze, and they didn't wear masks and they didn't do social distancing. And because they, you know, because of, of uh, you know, basically it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm, I'm, I have more virtue, you know, than you. They're, use, they're using as uh, weaponry, uh, in in deciding uh, Boris Johnson's future, uh, these you know COVID rules, okay. Yeah. That that's how they're going to pick. Uh, that's how they're going to decide whether he stays or goes. Okay, so that's outrageous. That's crazy. That's a crazy way to decide who's going to govern your country. Whether or not he wore a mask because it was a private party or was it a public party, and then the rules are slightly different one versus the other. And, uh, you know, if we did that to American, you know, uh, Pelosi going into the hairdryer or, you know, hairdresser and, and, and she's not wearing a mask. And I mean, if we applied those standards to our politicians, there'd be nobody in office. So that's outrage one. Outrage two, Fauci called a U.S. senator who happens to be a physician. This one isn't Rand Paul. It's uh, Roger Marshall, who's a U.S. senator from the state of Kansas. U.S. Army retired physician practices in Great Bend, Kansas. Uh, he questioned Fauci on his financial disclosures, and he, the guy couldn't get it. He could not get the disclosures. And of course, that's you know, of course, that's how the shadow government works. They make it very difficult to to find these records. And Fauci, at the end, when he thought he had a high, hot mic going, you know, he debated with the senator and, oh, no, that's public record. You can get it. Well, gee, you know, how come I can't get it? Uh, My staff's tried to get it. I can't find out anything about your finances, Dr. Fauci, as a public official. Now you're a multi-jillionaire, you know, on the board of all this stuff, and I want to know where you get your money. And that's totally legit to ask about. Uh, We have financial disclosure here in the state of Ohio. It's public servants have to disclose what their sources of income are. That's law, 
okay, state and federal. And that's all the guy was asking about. Anyway, uh, after, after his session, now this is a physician who's also a U.S. senator. The, the, the mic is still on, and Fauci called the guy a moron. Yeah, on okay, a hot mic. Yeah. On a hot mic. So uh, it's, you know, it's long been time for that guy to go. And, 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 and when you call the guy, you know, the people overseeing you, who have the responsibility to oversee your department and oversee you and have legitimate questions about your income and what your motivations are, and you call them a moron, sorry, Dr. Fauci, you're the moron. Um, outrage number three, um, Sotomayor, uh, Supreme Court Justice, her questions and her discussion uh, on on COVID, on these, on these mandates, uh, in 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 court, uh, it just betray how unplugged from the real world some of these people are. And uh, I mean, she she was making one incredibly ignorant statement after the other about the size of the population in hospitals, about the number of people who are uh, uh, minors with this disease, and and she just doesn't know any facts. And, of course, she should be thinking about the Constitution, but she's betraying that she's really thinking about policy. And uh, she's wrong on both. So um, I I don't know how she ever got through, but uh, another outrage. And then my final one, uh, which Stephen, I I think, has some very serious things to say um, about, is the FDA uh, enshrining an official policy. The, the Federal Drug Administration enshrining that past historical inequities having to do with race are legitimate criteria for administering therapeutics for COVID. Yeah, so, that's, that's just utterly insane. So we're we're going to have race tests uh, if if you if you follow the FDA guidance, we're going to have to determine who is. Uh, a white who is an African American who's a who's a uh, an Aleutian Eskimo who is uh, a Latin uh, who is Chinese who is Japanese who's Korean and we're gonna I guess we're going to have to do some kind of Nuremberg Nazi court uh, race determination you know uh, I I'm ready to sew on a little uh, you know six pointed yellow star I guess. You know, to identify me as some kind of unwanted human trash to the Federal Drug Administration. It's unbelievable to me. It's 2022, and we are discussing the federal government deciding whether or not to heal people, to make them better, to give them drugs, to give them a treatment based on race. That's freaking outrageous. We should be in the streets with signs, peacefully protesting, and, and telling our federal government it is out of freaking control. Yeah, that, it's, and I don't know to the extent it's done as a virtue signal and it doesn't have any impact, but even to suggest that we are going to deem a preference or give a preference to somebody based on race, whether they get medical care or not get medical care, is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. It is, the, it is, uh, it is Jim Crow in reverse. It is insane. It is utterly insane. So if I show up and I happen to have a certain skin color and uh, I get 
uh, I get the meds first or I get the meds and others don't if their skin color isn't mine. I don't know how they can make it work. It's impossible to make it work. So in reality, it's all just nonsense, virtue signaling. But to suggest it is utterly unconstitutional, utterly offensive, and the government has absolutely zero right to dole out and even suggest that somebody can't get medical treatment uh, or gets it first because of race. Um, now, I would also say this. Um, this is this has been suggested not only with monoclonal antibody treatment, it's been suggested with these new Pfizer drugs that are coming out, which I think are just like some version of ivermectin and hydrochloroquine. Um, it, it's been suggested on both fronts. And uh, why there is a shortage of any of those things is even more astounding um, if that's in fact true. So our federal government, if it's doing anything, ought to be maintaining a supply chain of all the therapeutic drugs necessary to help people combat COVID, whether they've got a vaccine, whether they don't have a vaccine, whether they want 10 vaccines, whether they want zero. It doesn't make any difference to me. If there's a therapeutic that works and the and there's a, there's a supply chain problem, work on that, Mr. Biden, please. If you're going to work on anything. In fact, don't even work on that. Just let us deal with it. Uh, you know, even DeSantis down in Florida has set up monoclonal treatments uh, facilities in various regional places throughout the states. And then the federal government sort of stepped in and hindered the Florida supply chain for the treatments. It's just, it's sick. It's it's authoritarianism at its worst. And they want to do more of it. So remember that, folks. They want to do more. And when the devil turns back on you because you're supporting it for this cause, well, the protection isn't going to be there when uh, you want another cause. So all I can say is, be cautioned. Read your history. This is not the way the federal government is supposed to operate on any level. And when it does, historically, it has been catastrophic. That's my rant. So, all right. Yeah. We're, we're an hour and 20 in or so. So this is, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Lawyer Talk, first big episode anyway of the new year. Um, <laughs> and coming at you every week with more and more and more. Uh, we have, uh, as always, channel511.com if you want your own podcast, Circle 270 Media with Brett. Um, like I said, he's working with Glenn over at Harper Plus. He's got lots of other uh, business and professional clients as well as some uh, some folks were uh, screening for just a regular sort of fun podcast. If that's what you need, we got it. If you want a business podcast, we got it. If you just want help trying to figure out if you need a podcast, we got that too. So look us up at Channel 511, Brett, Circle 270 Media, making that happen for us. Uh, if you have a question... As I say over and over and over again, LawyerTalkPodcast.com. Check it out. If you have a legal problem and you really need legal help, my real job, believe it or not, is representing folks who've been charged either wrongfully or maybe not so wrongfully with criminal activity. Um, it's what I do. Uh, look that up. Or you can look me up there at OhioLegalDefense.com. Put the number in your phone, 614-224-6142. So until next time, we are signing off. I'm sorry, Norm, one more thing? One more thing. And uh, and I know Steve is with me on this. He you visited our pal Jared. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we're all praying for him. Uh, and Steve's our leader uh, here at Five Eleven. He's he's the soul of this program. It's this is his idea. He hatched with uh, Jared and uh, all those years ago. And so Jared, you're in our heart. You're doing way way great. And we are totally excited about when you're able to feel better and 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 be ambulatory and and uh and participate in the show at some point no pressure whenever you're ready we we just we are thrilled with your progress yeah couldn't be any happier really i mean given where that thing started back in september uh it, we we uh here we are we're talking about bringing jared back getting him back on the show and he's on the men so 
great, great news, and, and the prayers work, folks. They really do. Incredible. Uh, you, you may not think so, but they do, and there's a plan, and uh, uh, we're going to make sure that uh, Jared is part of it. Um, so uh, until next time, this is Lawyer Talk off the record, on the air, at least until now.